Those four words may be the hardest words to say as a follower of Jesus. Those four words. Thy will be done. That's tough. To say, God, you're in control, and I'm not. To say, Lord, whatever it is that you want, whatever your will is, thy will be done. And the reason those words are so hard for us is because we like to be in control. We like to be in charge. We don't want to say, Jesus, take the wheel. We don't even want him sitting in the passenger seat, let alone letting him take control. Thy will be done. I think those are very difficult words to say. And not just for us. Not just for us. And we'll talk about that in a little while. We're in the book of Mark. And we've been studying the book of Mark since the beginning of the year. And we've been going through a chapter a week since January. And we're almost to the end. We've got two weeks left after today. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about Mark 15. And then the following week, Easter weekend, we'll talk about Mark 16. And just a reminder, we do have five Easter services this year. Saturday night at 4 o'clock and 5.30. Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, 9.30 and 11. And for those who come to the 8 o'clock service, we are serving breakfast from 7.15 to 7.45. And if you come to breakfast and you don't stay for the 8 o'clock service, you are in big trouble with Pastor Sean. In fact, we're going to lock the doors. If you come to breakfast at 7.15, we're going to lock the doors. We're going to lock you in. We're going to make you sit through the 8 o'clock service. So... So, no, please do come to the 8 o'clock service because it frees up more space at, at 9.30 and 11 uh, for all of our guests we're going to have that weekend. So, join us for one of our five Easter weekend services uh, this year. Um, so, like I said, we're in Mark chapter 14. Uh, if you brought a Bible, great, turn to Mark 14. If you didn't bring one, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 826 of that Bible. Or you can follow along on our GFCC app. If you haven't downloaded the app yet, uh, it's available in your app store by searching GFCC. Whether it's iTunes or the Google Play Store, you can find the GFCC app by searching GFCC. And when you open up the app, click on Sermon Notes. Uh, and uh, if, you, if, if your app hasn't updated, just swipe, swipe down on it and it'll update the app and you'll find today's Sermon Notes. So that's a great way to follow along and do all kinds of other stuff and interact with GFCC that way. So we're in Mark chapter 14 today. Uh, at the beginning of Mark 14, Jesus and his disciples have gone to the home of a man named Simon the leper. And it's thought that he at one point had had leprosy, uh, but had been healed of it. And he may have even been healed by Jesus. Uh, and that's why he's hosting Jesus and his disciples. So they're at this home and a woman comes in and she's carrying an expensive jar of perfume. It was a perfume called nard. Now I know that doesn't sound like you know, some kind of fancy perfume like, you know, Nard by Calvin Klein or anything like that. It has, doesn't have the same ring as Obsession or Eternity. Um, but uh, anyway, Nard was a very expensive perfume. It was from India. And this perfume was worth uh, 300 denarii. And you're like, wow, 300, what? No, 300 denarii, uh, which is about a year's wages. So in, in modern terms, you're talking about like $50,000 worth of perfume. And that's really expensive. That's, that's, I mean, who would spend thousands of dollars on smelling? If you were to look in the bottom of my medicine cabinet, 
you would find about nine bottles of cologne. I like to smell good, right? I mean, I, and, and not just for me, but for everyone around me, you know, because I know you're all sniffing me when I hug you. Um, but uh, if not, you should. I spent a lot of money to smell that good. Um, <laughs> and it's not just for you, it's for me too. I like, you know, I like to smell good. But uh, I come by it naturally. Um, if you only knew. Um, but uh, so this perfume was worth, like I said, a day's, uh, a 300 days wages. A, a denarius was worth a day's wage and it was worth over 300 uh, days wages. So about, like I said, 50 grand in today's, in today's terms. It's incredible. And so this woman brings this expensive perfume in and she breaks the neck of the bottle and she pours the perfume over Jesus' head and it runs down over his body. And, and it may sound strange, but, but this was a beautiful act of, of admiration and, and adoration uh, of who Jesus is. And, and, and Jesus um, sees the beauty in it. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But uh, the, the disciples and those who are with Jesus become indignant. And, and they want to know why she did this. And, and, and they believe that it's a waste. Look at verses 4 and 5. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Well, Jesus doesn't see it that way. In fact, this is what he says in verses 6 through 9. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And, and sure enough, here we are, almost 2,000 years later, talking about what this woman did for Jesus. Now, when you hear Jesus' words that he says, the poor you will always have with you, it doesn't sound very nice. It doesn't sound very Jesus-y at all. You know, it sounds like he's just kind of, you know, saying, don't worry about the poor. Forget about the poor. Uh, this is more important. I'm more important than the poor. And that's not what he's saying at all. He's actually quoting from the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 15, verse 11. And this is what it says. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. And so what Jesus is saying is, look, you're always going to have the poor with you, and you should take care of them, but right now this is more important. Because what I'm about to do for you, what I'm about to do for the whole world, is much more important. Not that the poor aren't important, but this is more important. And what she has done is a beautiful act of admiration and adoration to prepare me for what's coming. And Jesus knew what was coming, and it was coming soon. We'll talk about that in just a second. Well, Jesus and his disciples then start making their way toward Jerusalem, and it's, it's Thursday, so this is the last day of Jesus' life before he's going to go to the cross. And, and, and so Jesus and his disciples are getting ready to celebrate the Passover feast in Jerusalem, and the disciples want to know where should we make preparations for the Passover. And, and Jesus tells them that this is what's going to happen. I want you to go into Jerusalem. You're going to see a man carrying a jug of water. And then I want you to, to follow him and talk to the owner of the house that he goes into and tell them, and, and, and tell them that the master 
wants to celebrate the Passover there. Uh, and he'll show you an upper room uh, where we can gather and celebrate the Passover. And the disciples go into there, uh, into Jerusalem, and everything happens just the way Jesus said it would. And they get together that night uh, to celebrate the Passover. Uh, and uh, look at verses 17 through 20. It says, When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. It says, They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. And we know who that is, and we'll talk about him in just a second. So Jesus is saying, um, You know, one of you is going to betray me. And, and they're all denying it. It's, it's not going to be me. It's not going to be me. But yes, it was one of them. And, and then Jesus institutes what we know as communion or what we celebrate as the Lord's Supper. We celebrate it here every weekend at GFCC uh, because that's how often the early church celebrated communion. They did it every, every Sunday. And so every time we gather for worship on a weekend, we celebrate communion too. Um, and so Jesus takes the bread uh, and... Um, he, he, he gives it to them and says, this is my body. And then uh, look at verse 23. It says, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And Jesus said this in verse 24. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. So this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And, and he shows us that through these two simple emblems, we are to remember his body and his blood. Now, this idea of the blood of the covenant comes from the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 24, uh, it says this. Moses then took the blood from a lamb, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And he's talking about the law that he had given to his people. And so Moses uh, instituted a covenant between God and God's people, the Jews. And it was ratified by blood. All covenants had to be ratified in blood. But when Jesus institutes this new covenant in his blood, it was a better covenant and therefore did away with the old covenant. The new covenant is the covenant in Jesus' blood uh, is a covenant not just between God and the Jews. It's between God and everybody. That everyone in the whole wide world is able to come to faith in Christ. Everyone in the whole wide world. Uh, is able to uh, put their faith and trust in Jesus and find forgiveness and salvation. And so this covenant is for everybody. And that's why it's a, a better covenant. So Jesus then, uh, they, it says that they sang a hymn and they, they went out uh, to the Mount of Olives. Um, and then Jesus tells them, every single one of you is going to fall away. Every single one of you is going to abandon me. Every single one of you is going to desert me. And he's quoting scripture from Zechariah thirteen seven. It says this, Awake, sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me. He's talking about Jesus, prophesying about Jesus. Declares the Lord Almighty, Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. So strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. And sure enough, when Jesus died, when he went to the cross, when he was arrested, his, all his disciples left him. There was only one standing at the foot of the cross, and that was John. But all the rest of them just abandoned him. All his disciples deserted him. Every single one of them up in, at, at, when he's arrested. We'll talk about that in just a second. So Jesus and his disciples, uh, he takes uh, three of his disciples. They go to a place called Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And Gethsemane uh, literally means 
uh, olive press. Uh, look at verse 30, um, where, when Jesus predicts de Peter's denial. This is before they go to Gethsemane. He says, truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. And Peter said, no, insisted emphatically, the word says. He insisted emphatically that even if I have to go and die with you, I will never disown you. I will never disown you, he says. Well, they go up to Gethsemane. Jesus takes three of his disciples with him, Peter, James, and John, the same three who went with, uh, went with him up on the mountain uh, for the transfiguration uh, back in, in earlier in Mark's gospel. And, and here these three disciples go up with him, and Jesus begins to pray. He says, stay here and watch while I go and pray. Look at verse 34. My soul, he tells his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In other words, Jesus is saying, I feel like I'm going to die. I, I might not even make it to the cross. I I'm so overcome and so overwhelmed with sorrow and grief. I feel like I could die. So stay here and keep watch. And then he goes away from them and he begins to pray. Look at verse 34. I'm sorry, uh, verse 36, he says, Abba, Father, he's praying, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he says those words, the words that we know, thy will be done. He says, Abba, Father. And, and when you think about the, the, the Aramaic word there, it's an Aramaic word, Abba, and it literally means it's, it's a, an affectionate term for a father. It, it could mean dad or daddy. And Jesus is, is just crying out. And we, you know, we, we think of Jesus in the garden praying, you know, with his hands, you know, pointed up to heaven. And he's leaning on a rock saying, oh, father, please let this. No, I don't think that's how Jesus was praying. I think he was crying out to God and, and, and just sobbing and, and weeping you know, Father, if, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Because Jesus knew what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. He knew that he was going to be betrayed into the hands of the Jewish leaders. He knew that he was going to be beaten and mocked and spit upon. He knew that he was going to have his hands and feet nailed to the cross. He knew all of this was coming. If you knew that all of this was going to happen to you within less than 24 hours, how would you feel? Jesus was going to be rejected and beaten and killed for us. And he knew it was coming. And he knew that if the only way out was if God took that cup away from him. The only way out was if God removed that cup. But Jesus surrendered himself to the will of God and said, Not as I will, but your will be done. He goes back and he finds his disciples sleeping. He says, couldn't you stay awake? He goes back and prays a second time. Comes back, finds the disciples still sleeping. Then he goes back and he prays a third time. And then he finds his disciples sleeping again and he tells them to wake up. Because Judas is coming. Look at verse 43. It says, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. And so we see who it is behind this whole thing. 
that Judas was betraying Jesus because the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, the religious leaders of Israel, those who should have known that Jesus was the Messiah, those who should have been looking for him as the Messiah, they uh, are the ones who put Jesus up to it. They're the ones uh, who put Judas up to it. And, and so Judas goes and he betrays Jesus. Look at verse 44. It says, Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. A, a, an act of affection, a sign of affection used as a sign of betrayal. And he betrays Jesus with a kiss. How painful must that have been for Jesus? How the most bitter kiss ever kissed in the history of humanity was this one. How much that must have hurt that Judas, who had been following him for three, three and a half years, was part of the, the twelve, and now was betraying him with a kiss. Look at verse 50. It says, everyone deserted him and fled. When he was arrested, everyone deserted him and fled. And verse 51 says that there was a, a young man who had a one-piece tunic on and, and his clothes were ripped off him and he ran away naked. He was so scared and this was such a frightening event that everyone deserted him, including this young man. And some have speculated that it may have even been Mark. But he left. With the, and he left his clothes behind and ran away. And everyone deserted him. Jesus was all alone. Well, Jesus is taken uh, to stand before the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling, uh, governing body of Israel, uh, the religious governing body of Israel. And so they go uh, to the home of the high priest. His name was Caiaphas. They go to Caiaphas's house. And um, uh, while they're at Caiaphas's house, they begin to question Jesus. And, and they're trying to, to find some reason uh, to, uh, to pin something on him. Look at verse 55. It says, The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree and others got up and testified against Jesus and they're trying to pin something on him they're trying to to trap him they're trying to find a reason uh, to crucify him they're trying to find a reason to kill him and they can't find any nobody's stories are lining up it's it's a sham of a trial and Jesus the whole time just stands there silently he just stands there while they're lying about him and and testifying against him falsely and it, it wasn't because Jesus wasn't going to say anything. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. In Isaiah 53, verse 7, it says this. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. That Jesus didn't say a word as a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 53. So he doesn't say anything. And the high priest is, is so frustrated and getting so angry with Jesus. And look at verse 61. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. 
and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And at that, it says that the high priest tore his clothing out of great grief and out of great uh, exasperation that he tore his clothing. And he said, there's no other reason to accuse him. He has committed blasphemy because Jesus was uh, calling himself God when he said, I am. It's that personal name of God from the Old Testament, that I am. And it, and it infuriated the high priest and it infuriated the Sanhedrin. And they all agreed that there were no other uh, accusation needed to be made. And they all agreed to put him to death. Look at verse 65. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. This is Jesus, who lived the perfect life of love, never did anything wrong, never sinned in any way. All he did was heal people and feed people and give hope to people. And yet here they are beating him and spitting on him and mocking him. And they haul him away. Well, outside in the courtyards of the high priest is a man named Peter. You know Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, one of Jesus' very best friends. And Peter's out in the courtyards and a, a servant girl comes up to him. And, and she says, I, I know... Uh, I know that you were also with that Nazarene, and this is what verse 68 says, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. And the servant girl follows him, and she again accuses him of being with Jesus, and he denies it a second time. And then some others, standing by a fire, say, uh, surely you were with him because you are a Galilean. And this is what Peter says in verse 71. In verse uh, 71, he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately, it says, the, the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered Jesus' words that you would deny me three times before the rooster crowed twice. And it happened just as Jesus said it would. And it says that Peter went outside and he wept bitterly. Because he was the one who stood up and said, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Even if I have to go and, and die with you, I will never deny you. And sure enough, he did it. There's a couple questions I want to ask you based on Mark chapter 14. Two questions. The first is this. Could you do what Jesus did? Could you do what Jesus did? Jesus prayed, thy will be done. Could you? And I'm not talking in the face of crucifixion. I'm just talking in your everyday life. Simpler stuff. Could you say, thy will be done? God, if your will is for me to undergo persecution for my faith, could you say, thy will be done? If God were asking you to make a sacrifice of some kind, uh, Let's say a sacrifice of time. Uh, if God were asking you to say, you know what, I'm not going to work as much overtime or I'm gonna, not going to work as many hours at the office. Uh, I'm, I'm going to spend more time with my family. I'm going to spend more time with my, my spouse. I'm going to spend more time with my kids because I've got I to lead my family well to, to bring them to Jesus. 
And if God were asking you to cut back a little bit in your hours of, of overtime or things like that, if God were asking you to do that, could you say, thy will be done? We'll, we'll, we'll cinch up our belts and, and we, we'll, we'll make ends, you'll, I know that you will make ends meet, God. And I'm going to say, thy will be done. If God were asking you to downsize and maybe move out of your big house and move into a smaller house, uh, maybe sell a few things so that you could adopt a, a child, a sponsor a child in a, in a foreign country. Or if God were asking you to downsize and, and take that extra money and put it toward kingdom work, support a missionary. If God were asking you to downsize and support the work of his kingdom here at GFCC with that extra money, could you say, thy will be done? No, 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 I like my big house. Or I like my new car every five years. Or I like my fancy Calvin Klein jeans. Thy will be done. Could you say it? Thy will be done? If God were calling you to quit your job and become a minister, a minister or become a missionary. Teenagers, if God was calling you to go into the ministry, if God was calling you to go to Bible college and become a minister, could you say, thy will be done? If that's what God is calling you to do, can you say, thy will be done? If God were calling you to get more involved in the church, to get more involved in, in a children's ministry or student ministry, if God were calling you to get involved in, in a ministry here at GFCC, women's ministry, men's ministry, could you say, thy will be done? If God were calling you to pull your kids out of an activity, they got 25 activities, and, and if God were saying, you know, pull your kid out of just one of those activities so they can go to youth group on, Saturday, on Sunday afternoons at 3 o'clock. We have a youth group that meets from 3 to 5.30 on Sunday afternoons called UFC, stands for United for Christ. If God were calling you uh, to, to pull your kids out of an activity so that they could come to church on Sunday morning, if God were calling you to say, you know what, uh, my kids need to be in church, my kids need to be in youth group, because the most important thing is that they go, get to know Jesus better. Could you do that? Could you say, thy will be done? It's a tough question. Be careful how you answer it. Could you say, thy will be done? Well, that's just the first question. The second one is not any easier. Have you done what Peter did? Have you done what Peter did? That's deny Jesus. And I'm not talking about denying him, you know, no, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a Christian and I don't go to church because... If, if chances are if somebody asked you, you know, do you go to church or are you a Christian? You'd probably say yes. But we deny him in other ways, don't we? Uh, maybe you deny him in the way that you talk to your spouse or the way that you talk to your kids. Do you, not, do you deny Jesus in the way that you talk to your spouse and kids? Do you, do you deny Jesus in the way that you act at work or in the way that you act at school? Do you deny Jesus that way? Do you, maybe you deny Jesus in hypocrisy. You know, if, if someone were to find out uh, that you were here today, if you were here on a Sunday morning and worshiping God, and then you go to work or you go to school, what would they say about you? You, you went to church yesterday? You? Do you deny Jesus in the way that you live? Do you deny Jesus in the things that you say? Are the words that come out of your mouth, the words of Jesus, are the words that come out of your mouth, uh, the words that bring honor to him and to, that lift other people up? Or do you deny Jesus in the things that you say? Do you deny Jesus in the way that you live, in the way that you spend your time, in the way that you, uh, the way that you act? Do you deny Jesus that way? 
do you deny Jesus in obedience? Are you obeying him? Have you obeyed him fully? Maybe you believe in him, but you've never taken that next step of faith. Do you, have, you, have you repented of sin? Have you repented from your sins and said, you know, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live this way. Have you confessed and, and acknowledged him as Savior and Lord? Have you been baptized? Have you obeyed him by being baptized? And if not, what are you waiting for? Quit denying uh, full obedience to Jesus and take that next step of faith. Tough questions. I know. And I, I don't ask them just to you. I ask them to me too. These questions are for us. Can you, can we do what Jesus did? And have we done what Peter did? I think if the, we were being honest, we'd say no, and we'd say yes. Nope, I couldn't do what Jesus did. And yeah, I've done what Peter did. But the good news, the good news of Easter, the good news of the resurrection is that there is hope and there is forgiveness that when we don't do what, what Jesus did and when we do do what Peter did that there is still forgiveness and grace for us that God in his great grace and mercy in his love and forgiveness washes us time and time again so that we can do better with his strength and his power we can do better and we can say Yes, I am a Christian. And yes, I follow Jesus. And we can say, thy will be done. And so my challenge for us all this week is to say those words. And to mean them. That whatever God is asking of us, we will say, thy will be done.